Have you had a busy week in the market? Not had time to catch up with the latest trends? Well, welcome to Cloud Ninefin, where we bring you the need to know information on deals, documentation, ESG, and we deep dive into the themes showing up in the high yield, leveraged loans and restructuring spaces. I'm Catherine Hidalgo, a loans reporter at Ninefin, and I'll be your host today when we'll be looking at Lean's covenants, giving an update on January's SLBs and discussing the shift towards term loans, both in the US and in Europe. But first up, the week's wrap. In bonds this week, we have sterling tranches making up a good chunk of issuance, with a £475 million tranche for Zenith Lease Drive and a £250 million tranche for Voyage Care. Also in healthcare, Covis Pharma is offering a $475 million dollar bond and a 375 million euro bond. Also in the market is eDreams with a 370 million euro bond and Advanced Pharma with a 175 million euro tap. Those are all senior secured notes. The only unsecured notes currently on offer is the 400 million euro bond for WeBuild. In loans, once again, we have more loans in the market than bonds. Closing this week, we have Arxada, previously known as Lonza Speciality Ingredients, Biscuit International with an add-on, and Fluidro with a refi. While next week, it's a fairly clean sweep of Euro tranches to close, with Autoform with a 472 million Euro TLB, Keta with a 1.175 billion Euro TLB, and Group of Butchers and Spanish Insurance Group, Grupo BC with a 330 million euro TLB each. Weller is also offering a euro denominated and sterling denominated loan with the currency split yet to be determined, while TSG Solutions is also in market with a 320 million euro TLB with commitments on the 1st of February. I'm here today with Caitlin Carey. We're doing the Covenant Close-Up. Thank you so much for being with us today, Caitlin. Thank you so much for having me, Kat. Caitlin is our lovely head of Covenant Research. And today we're going to be talking about uh, permitted liens versus permitted collateral liens. Um, so I guess if you could start us off quickly with, with what lien covenants are, that would be fabulous. Sure. Um, just uh by way of background, the liens covenant in high yield bonds and also leverage loans with high yield covenants um, is basically uh, restricting the ability to secure debt um, on particular assets of, of the business. So, so what the general rule says is that um, no liens will be allowed on the assets of the restricted group to secure indebtedness with certain exceptions. So except, you know, in the case of collateral so you know whatever the collateral package that the senior secured creditors have um, it will be permitted collateral liens as the exceptions and then in the case of assets that are outside the senior secured uh, creditors collateral package it's either permitted liens or else they can secure debt over an asset as long as they grant the senior secureds equal and ratable security with that other debt so the meat of the liens covenant is actually then in those two definitions, the definition of permitted collateral liens and the definition of permitted liens. So permitted collateral liens definition essentially tells you, the creditor, what debt can share the collateral with you. 
So I guess one of the key things uh, the senior secured creditors would be concerned about in that definition is potential dilution of their recoveries. Um, if there end up being a lot more creditors that share the collateral package with you, then, you know, each slice of the pie, then, you know, might end up with a little bit less. So, so, so what they care about there is really kind of their dilution risk. Um, and and there, there are bits and pieces around the edges. I mean, I think if you are a bond investor, you'll think, you know, this will also tell you where, uh, how much debt can be super senior if you've got a super senior uh, credit facility um, in the structure, um, things like that. Um, but but generally speaking, if you've got, you know, sort of term loans and, you know, peri uh revolving credit facility, the stuff in the permitted collateral liens is going to be stuff that sits even with you um, for the most part. Um, the permitted liens definition, however, that's something a bit different because permitted liens tell you what debt can be secured on assets that fall outside of your collateral package. So um, if you see, you know, a basket showing up saying, you know, clause, you know, 15 permitted debt basket can be secured with a permitted lien, then what that essentially means is that can get security over assets that you don't have security over. So it ends up making that other debt effectively senior to you with respect to those assets that they have collateral over, but you don't. And so one of the concerning trends, you know, I think, Kat, we've been talking a lot about various concerning trends across the covenants, but one of the concerning trends that, that we've started to see is expansion of the permitted liens definition. So expanding the number of debt baskets that are allowed to be secured on assets that are outside the scope of the collateral package. Um, so, you know, seeing things that say, you know, the general debt basket and the, you know, these limbs of the credit facilities baskets and this contribution debt basket and available RP capacity amount basket, these can be secured with permitted liens, i.e. can become effectively senior, potentially, to the, uh, you know, TLB or senior secured bondholders. Um, so, so, so that is, you know, a, an area of concern uh, because, you know, obviously you want to protect the priority position that you have. And so if you have a really kind of gappy, loose, permitted liens definition, um, you could end up with all of this other indebtedness, um, you know, potentially, you know, having, a, you know, better security package um, than, than you. Um, I think another issue is just that we have seen also security packages get smaller. So, you know, nowadays it's not uncommon to see uh, senior secured notes or a TLB only having, uh, you know, share pledges, you know, maybe share pledges and, and, and some, some bank account pledges and intercompany receivables. Um, and so, you know, that lack of hard asset security um, in, in the collateral package means, you know, all those assets that you don't have security over is, is kind of then becomes fair game for these, you know, you know, potential other future creditors that, that could come into the structure and, and get a permitted lien over them. Um, so, so, so that's the cause for concern there. The final point is that, so floating charge assets, right? So sometimes, you know, as part of the collateral package, um, the note holders, the um, term loan B lenders will have security by virtue of a floating charge over, you know, substantially all assets of a particular entity. Um, but then sometimes the way the term collateral is defined 
um, will carve out and say, if it's assets that are subject only to a floating charge, actually those count as non-collateral assets for, for these definitions that we're talking about. In other words, um, those assets then, you know, somebody could come in and get priority over them if, if they're incurring, you know, debt under a basket that can be secured with a permitted lien. So, so these are all kind of risky, you know, tricky areas. And um, I haven't yet seen these kind of, you know, really loose permitted liens um, clauses kind of come to the fore yet in, in kind of a, you know, distressed or restructuring situation. But I, I think it's going to be interesting to, to see down the line because um, it, it just does appear in this current vintage of documents that there's just becoming, you know, more and more flexibility um, that, you know, could, could potentially bite investors down the line. No, definitely. And and so you mentioned before, of course, you know, it's dangerous to have key debt baskets permitted to be secured with permitted liens, particularly if your collateral package isn't very good. How, in your opinion, what percentage of the market does have a, a like a bad collateral package where, you know, this would be dangerous? You know, it's it's unfortunately, you know, pretty standard in European um, the market to have a, a fairly light, just a soft uh, security package, um, as they say, without, you know, much or any hard asset security. So, so that's fairly common. These permitted liens, degradations, dare I say, um, these the kind of expansive permitted liens clauses, I haven't seen actually in as many deals. I'm just seeing this as, as a potential a potential risk. Um, because I, I guess the, the way you solve for it, you know, you could solve for it two different ways, right? So you could either really, really beef up security packages uh, such that, you know, almost everything is in the collateral package. And then it's not so much an issue what's in permitted liens because, you know, if the holders have security over, you know, substantially everything, then, you know, there's not really that many other assets to secure stuff on. So if, if there is a really, really robust security package, one way to deal with the issue. Now, it, under the various European you know, financial assistance and other local law regimes, there are probably likely to be issues why um, a, a lot of the, these assets can't become you know, subject to security, or at least it would be very costly to, to do so. Um, so. So then in that case, I would be like, well, then we ought to very, very much restrict these permitted liens clauses because, you know, if there ever then comes a point down the line when <laughs> it does make sense to, you know, start granting other creditors security because you've, you know, run out of, um, you know, cash and, and need to raise debt and, you know, give, you know, other people priority, you know, it's, it's, it's basically that situation that, that we're worried about um, when, you know, a company... Is, is, is going into a stress situation and they need to find ways to um, prioritize new creditors um, contractually. And, and so, so that's, I think, what, what I'm worried about here. So next up, we have Please Raise Responsibly, our ESG segment with ESG analyst Jack David. Thanks very much for being with us today, Jack. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kat. So what's been going on in the sustainability linked bond market in the last couple of weeks? So we've seen the market pick up a bit this week after a slow first week. We've seen two sustainability linked bonds, one loan and one green bond issuance so far. Out of these, the bond that kicked off the high yield issuance this year, Vodafone Zygo, is perhaps the most interesting. 
This bond, along with the usual coupon step up, the borrowers set to repay bondholders less if it meets the target set. We've seen a similar redemption premium step up with, with a loan previously, Itilium's issuance last year, but this is the first time we've seen such a step up with a bond issuance and the first time we've seen both features in the same deal. Have you previously heard about very many concerns with this type of step up? There were some criticisms with the Itilium deal. The redemption step up gave the issuer much more control over timings of the targets compared to a more onerous coupon step up, uh, as the issuer can hold off redeeming the bond during periods where the targets are not met. With the Vodafone Zygo, we, we see both features, which should have incentivized targets being met in a more timely manner, but still offers the issuer more flexibility than with the larger pure coupon step up. Though the combined step up is towards the top end of the increases we've seen with most bar SRBs around 25 basis points. As far as I understand, these targets do receive criticism, don't they? Yeah, in the past, we've seen criticisms over SRBs in general. Uh, They price tighter than other deals, meaning that issues can benefit from the so-called greenium uh, and that removes some pressure to actually hit the targets. Uh, Of course, we've heard a a lot already about investor pushback on the targets themselves, uh, where they often question their ambition. Uh, and we rarely see a second party opinion call an issue out on these targets, which brings into question the the nature of the unregulated SLB market in general. So back to Vodafone Zygo, what about the SPTs here? Yes, yeah, so the company actually has very good emissions reporting and the targets include both one scope one, two and three and includes end use of um, end use of its products, uh, which is quite rare to see. It's, uh, it's, it's aligned to science-based target and is verified by the SBTI to a 1.5 degree C pathway, which is, which is rare in any issuance to date. Uh, it makes this relatively quite an ambitious, uh, an ambitious target. We do, uh, in, our, in analysis, we do, we do highlight the difficulty uh, that the company might find in actually achieving the scope three target. This will, will be reliant on Dutch energy becoming uh, more green over time. But like always the scope three targets, it's a group effort and depends on a number of factors working in unison. Our analysts also did point out that Vodafone Group issued an SLB in 2021, which featured two social SPTs. Uh, to be more ambitious, Vodafone Zygo could have mirrored this in their offering, especially the diversity target as the company has poor female rep- representation at a leadership level. We also note the reliance on carbon credits for its current carbon neutrality claims. What's your take on carbon credits? I understand it's a hotly contested issue. Yeah, carbon credits are increasingly becoming a point of controversy within the industry. There's mixed guidance on their use. On the one hand, you see the UN uh, who uh, have said that it's in, they're going to be important in achieving the Paris Agreement. Um, we're expected to see an increase in use and voluntary carbon credits in 2022 as more companies feel the pressure to, de- to decarbonize. On the other hand, we have the SBTI and the World Resource Institute guidance, which differ. They both state that carbon credits should not be included in companies' net zero plans and should not be used in place of reducing emissions directly. In other deals this week, we also saw eDreams state its reliance on carbon credits for its claims to carbon neutrality. When we looked at the actual credits being used, we saw that a large proportion of these were for, for a biomass project in Malawi. Uh, biomass has garnered attention because of the social impacts, health concerns related to cooking with biomass, as well as environmental impacts around deforestation. Additionally, the credits 
bought were estimated to amount to £20,000. As such, this is detached from the reality of the impact of the emissions it produces. Uh, we'll explore this, this topic in more detail in the future, but investors should be wary of any issue with a heavy reliance on carbon credits. Next up, for our deep discussion, we have with us, doing his debut, our US editor, Will Cager-Smith. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today. Hey, glad to be here. Amazing. So you came up, I think it was um, with your first US wrap um, covering Athena Healthcare and Golden Nugget. Uh, it threw up a lot of really interesting themes. Um, and I was hoping that we could go through a few of them today and also talk a little bit about the US market. Um, but first off, I wanted to ask overall over here in Europe, we're having a fairly kind of borrow a friendly moment. Docs are very friendly to issuers, of course. Pricing is fairly favourable. We're seeing short commitment deadlines and commitment deadlines getting pushed forward. Where on the scale of, you know, most borrower friendly to most investor friendly is that the US market right now? And it'd be good to know which way you think it's kind of falling. Yeah, so far this year, the US is actually pretty similar. We haven't seen a huge number of New Deal allocations yet, but... The early signs do point towards um, accelerated commitment deadlines and a pretty borrower-friendly market in terms of pricing and docs. But then again, docs have been pretty loose for a while now. Like in the grand scheme of things, the early period of the pandemic um, back in 2020, where it suddenly became a buyer's market, really just feels like a tiny hiccup um, in the broader trend of, of docs becoming looser and looser. And there's not really much sign of that changing. Um, so some buy-siders are starting to think about the cycle potentially turning in the next couple of years, uh, the credit cycle that is, and how loose docs could maybe lead to lower recoveries if there's a rise in the default rate. But there don't seem to be many signs from the current crop of primary deals that docs are tightening at all, unless it's on a very kind of ad hoc basis, maybe in a deal that's struggling. But then again, not many deals are struggling right now. So it's definitely kind of pushing towards being more borrower friendly. Yeah, definitely. It's um, it's it's very easy to hear buy siders complaining for sure when you're chatting to them. Um, but having said that, you know, in 2022, pricing has been coming back at like a fairly reasonable level. Say typical would be like 400 basis points over year or 99.5 OID. Um, that's just for like your stand B2 credit. Um, how was pricing overall in 2021 in the US and how do you feel like it's going to change throughout the year perhaps and, and how's it been coming back uh, this January? Yeah, without getting into specific um, levels, I think the main story so far this year in terms of pricing is how favourable loan pricing is compared to bonds. And we had a good example of that last week with the Golden Nugget deal where the bonds came at the midpoint and the wide end of talk, even after being downsized, um, while the loans were upsized by nearly one and a half billion and the OID was tightened on the loans. So that definitely reflects this big exodus of cash that we've seen from high yield funds over the past couple of weeks and the influx of money into leveraged loan funds on the other side. Interesting. So that's that's really a big theme in, in your wrap, as you mentioned, kind of sourced in your pieces, mentioned that um, borrowers really like that element of prepayability in loans and investors are looking for floating rate exposure also. So it's very clear um, that we're seeing a sort of shift towards loans. What? Why would a borrower kind of stick in high yield right now? Do you expect any issuers or any borrowers in the pipeline to stick with bonds? 
Well, there's a lot of factors that go into that, including the size of the issuer, for example, or what their existing capital stack looks like. So it's not always as simple as just picking whatever market offers the best pricing and the best execution. But it's definitely an increasingly valid question, as in the question of whether to refinance higher bonds with, with leveraged loans or just pick one market over the other. Um, and it's definitely conceivable that some borrowers would choose to do that, choose loans over bonds. And that's already been happening on a market-wide level. So there was record issuance in both bonds and loans last year. But it's notable that bonds were only about 40% of the total Ledfin issuance last year, which is the lowest it's been for several years. And it was a pretty big drop from the, the year before. So having a bond component is still really important for many, many issuers, especially if you're putting together a large deal like an LBO financing and you're trying to tap as many pools of capital as possible. But given that loans are increasingly attractive because there's so much money chasing them, they might end up being an even chunkier part of those deals than they already are. And then for issuers that don't necessarily have the luxury of picking and choosing between those two markets based on execution and pricing, there's always the possibility if they're stuck with bonds for whatever reason that we see floating rate bond issuance increase as bond issuers try and make the most of that flight towards floating rate assets. Um, but then again, given rates are on their way up, as an issuer, it might make just as much sense to stick with bonds and lock in a fixed rate coupon. Because even if it looks expensive relative to loans right now, it might look like a much better deal after a couple of rate hikes. Interesting. It's an interesting theme, one that's showing up here in, in the European markets. Where I think Ceramtech and Microfocus had their term loans pushed up. Um, so as borrowers and investors kind of look to loans do you think that we can expect bond focused investors to shift their focus at all perhaps you know can we expect more fixed income shops to be branching out into the CLO world yeah we're definitely seeing some traditionally bond focused managers increase their focus on loans probably the most notable example of that is PIMCO in the summer of 2020 they priced their first CLO since before the 2006 financial crisis and we've also seen some established industry faces break out on their own, like the former Highland Capital guys who started Sycamore Tree Capital. So demand for the CLO product seems to be only increasing. And the interest rate environment is just another tailwind to that. So this has been happening for a while, but this extra tailwind that we're seeing now definitely means that we'll probably see an increased focus on loans from investors that in the past haven't played as much in that market. Interesting. Um, so a CLO manager mentioned in your piece uh, that loans are kind of insulated from the volatility of other asset classes right now. How much of that is to do with illiquidity? Yeah, so I wouldn't necessarily use the term illiquidity in an absolute sense, at least. I mean, it's broadly true that loans are overall less liquid than bonds, at least in terms of the overall size of the market and the way trading infrastructure is set up. Although, then again, the recent influx of investors into loans could somewhat boost liquidity. So yes, loans are less liquid than bonds, but they're not quote unquote illiquid. I think the more important factor that's really insulating loans from volatility elsewhere is the macro backdrop, just in terms of, again, where rates are going. It's just really a popular asset class right now because it's floating rate. So it's a, it's a good way to manage duration. And that's the, the real reason 
well, the main reason, at least, why I think um, the loan market has been a bit more insulated from some of the volatility in the first couple of weeks of the year. Okay, great. And so, as I said before, you mentioned Athena Health in your wrap, um, and it's likely to be a barometer for floating rate demand. Um, are you expecting to glean anything else from this deal? And are there any other US deals you're looking forward to that will give an investor an insight into the market? Yeah, I'm sure we'll glean plenty from Athena Health, as we always do from big LBOs. Um, in addition to its size, it's also interesting that it's a secondary buyout as opposed to a take private deal. So I'm looking forward to seeing what buy siders make of the incoming sponsors growth strategy, given that a lot of the more obvious cost cuts and efficiency savings that you generally see in a take private will have been possibly made by the previous sponsors. Other interesting upcoming deals include the the McAfee LBO, which has a big cross-border financing. And then there's also the Intelsat exit loan and the Bausch Health refi. Those are both credits with a bit of a story to them. So it'll be interesting to see how they go down with investors for sure. Fabulous. So I'm really looking forward to hearing um, more from you and from your colleague, Will Hoffman, out in the US market. Um, just to give a little insight for our listeners, <clears throat> where are you focusing your efforts and what kind of coverage can our US readership expect out of Nine Fins US office over the coming months? Yeah, I think it's going to be a really fun time to cover Lev Finn. Um, our team is growing over here in the US. We've got some great journalists coming on board. So I'm just looking forward to getting stuck in. We'll be doing everything from individual breaking news stories on particular credits and new deals to kind of broader analytical pieces and the occasional wacky feature article. Um, the Lev Finn market is a pretty exciting, beguiling and sometimes just downright bizarre place so there's no shortage of things to write about um, so the general rule is basically if it's interesting to our subscribers we'll try and cover it i'm afraid that's all we have time for for this week on cloud Ninefin. but before you go morrison's is expected to bring its much anticipated mammoth debt financing to market at the end of january or beginning of february it's touted to be one of Europe's larger deals of the year and will have a significant sterling tranche baked in. We want to hear your opinions. Do you think the market has capacity for the deal? Will it fly through or will it struggle and face resizing? Please let us know and email us at team at ninefin.com. But for now, many thanks to Caitlin, to Jack, to Will and of course to you too, listener. We'll see you not next week, but the week after. And in the meantime, don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music and Google Podcasts.